Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Dee Dee West, and this is Broken Limelight. So we're back for part two of the R. Kelly story. In the last episode, we left off talking about the victim, Patrice Jones. She was the victim who he met at McDonald's after a winter ball at her school. She settled with him in 2003. So now what we're going to talk about is the sex tapes. So remember when I mentioned that Robert had a fascination with photography after he was made to photograph his relative having sex? Well, as an adult, he videotaped his sexual encounters, and then he'd keep the tapes in a duffel bag that he would take everywhere with him. Like, everywhere. On the tour bus, and he would show it to people sometimes. According to Demetrius, he wasn't very careful, and he would leave the duffel bag on the bus, and sometimes tapes would go missing. According to one source, there were even tapes of Robert having sex with Aaliyah, but those tapes were supposedly destroyed. In January 2001, just two weeks after Jim and his partner published their first story, a FedEx envelope with an unmarked VHS tape arrived in the Sun-Times mailroom. If you don't know what a VHS tape is, do me a favor and just Google it. I'm not in the mood to get upset about my old right now. So whoever sent the tape typed Jim DeRogatis' name as both the sender and the recipient. He tried to look into it, but all he could confirm was that the sender paid cash at a FedEx drop-off center, and they couldn't tell where exactly it originated from. Jim and his partner, Abden, watched the tape. It was about two minutes long, and it showed a light-skinned black girl with long black hair kneeling on a pillow. She was wearing a bra and panties, and she was performing oral sex on Robert. About halfway through the video, he takes off his sweatshirt, and then he repositioned the girl to get ready for intercourse. And then the tape just ended right there. The girl in the video looked underage, but of course there's no way to know for sure until she's identified. So Jim and his partner Abden spent 12 days trying to figure that out. Based on what they could see, they ruled out Tiffany Hawkins, Tracy Sampson, and Rashonda Landfair. The day after they got the tape, Jim was sitting in his living room watching a movie with his friends, and someone shot through his window. This was, of course, super unsettling. It wasn't normal to hear gunshots in his neighborhood. It was a pretty yuppie neighborhood. But he didn't report it to police because he didn't know if it could have been connected to his investigation into R. Kelly. So Jim and Abden, like, didn't know what to do with the tape. They talked about it for a long time because journalists aren't supposed to, like, do police work. But they considered that the female suspect in the tape could be in trouble. So as much as they didn't want to become a part of the story they agreed to turn the tape into the police. But they didn't, like, write a report about the tape until about a year later. So there were a couple of sex tapes of R. Kelly's that got out, and they were being sold on the streets. They featured two clips. One was the girl in the tape that was sent to Jim, and the other was a clip of Montina Woods. Montina was the fourth person to sue Robert in May 2002, and she was the first legal-age woman to sue him. She was also the first lawsuit that Susan Loggins wasn't involved in. 
In the lawsuit, Montina claimed that in the summer of 1999, when she was 30 years old, Robert filmed her having sex with him without her consent. She sought for damages for intentional infliction of emotional distress and invasion of privacy. She also named his defendants, Track Studios, Jive Records, and Kelly's accountant, citing all of them for negligence and having, quote, knowledge of the performer's sexual misconduct and failing to act to prevent further harm to the public sector in securing any type of treatment for R. Kelly, who had generated income on their behalf. Montina was actually one of Robert's dancers. In 1999, she was in the concert at the end of Get Up on a Room Tour. There's a part where a woman is on a giant bed, and that was Montina Woods. So apparently Montina also settled out of court in exchange for signing a non-disclosure agreement. The identity of the other girl or woman from the other tape hasn't actually been figured out yet. Since it's unknown whether the subject of the tape is of age or not, it's not clear if there's really a crime being committed there. However, this was not the only sex tape that would be discovered. And I'm sure you already know that I'm talking about the notorious R. Kelly P. tape. Okay, so remember Rashana Lanfair? Rashana was the young girl who Robert calls his daughter, and she's also Sparkle's niece. So when Jim released the first story on Robert, he didn't mention Rashana because he wasn't able to interview the family or really confirm anything about her. Interestingly, about six weeks after the story ran, Jim got a cease and desist letter from the Landfair's lawyer basically saying that, even though they didn't name her, the whole town knows that the Landfairs are close with R. Kelly. But Jim wasn't too worried. To him, this just confirmed that he was onto something. In December 2001, Sparkle called Jim. She told him, When you talked to me last year, I couldn't say anything. But I've since gotten proof. This is not a rumor. This is something that I totally seen with my own eyes. I got a phone call on Friday stating that there was a tape surfacing with my niece, and I know you can't publish minors' names, but I was just like, okay, is it true? So two of my friends actually viewed the tape and know my family personally, so they'd know it was my niece. She said that a man claiming to represent an attorney named Buddy Myers went to her apartment and gave her the lawyer's card and showed her the videotape. She went ballistic when she saw it. The guy left with the tape, and she never heard or saw him again. She started calling around and trying to get in touch with her sister, Valerie Landfair. Apparently, they were now estranged ever since Sparkle told them to keep their daughter away from R. Kelly. Sparkle tried calling both the police and the Department of Family Services, but in both cases, she was told that they couldn't do anything without the tape. So she called Jim. At first, he thought that she was talking about the sex tape that they had received in the FedEx envelope, but she went on to describe a much longer and much more disturbing video. Rashana was 17 at this point, and based on her hairstyle, Sparkle says that Rashana was 14 in that video. Jim reached out to the lawyer, Buddy Meyer, but Buddy insisted that he's not working with R. Kelly or anybody associated with him. In February 2002, Jim got a call at work. It was a gruff deep voice on the other end of the phone, and it said, go to your mailbox, and then hung up. Jim went home and checked his mailbox, and in it was an unmarked VHS cassette in a blank envelope. This video was a whole 26 minutes and 39 seconds long, and it seemed to be shot in the same location as the first short video they received. Kelly's crew members called this room the Colorado Room, or the Log Cabin Playroom. They determined that the tape was made sometime between 1998 and 99. Okay, so if you haven't heard the details of this video, it's pretty fucked up. Um, 
I haven't personally seen it. It's obviously like a whole 26 minutes long of child pornography, but there are clips of the first two minutes where they're both still fully dressed, where it clearly looks like Robert and it clearly looks like Rashonda and it definitely looks like they're in the log cabin or the Colorado room. So let me give you a quick trigger warning. Um, if you don't want to hear about the disturbing content of this video, you might want to skip forward about a minute or so. I mean, aside from the fact that it's a child in a sex tape, the sexual acts are not, they're not for everyone. They might make you feel kind of sick. I mean, no judgment if you like this stuff, but in this case, this was a child who shouldn't even know that these things exist at that age. And she's definitely not even old enough to truly consent. So the video starts with the man who is fully dressed and he hands the girl something. It, what it looks like is like Robert is handing Rashonda money. So in the video, she says, thank you, and then performs fellatio on him. The video cuts out for a second and it comes back to her dancing on the ledge of the bathtub for him. And he's like instructing her, saying things like, dance faster, baby. And then as he directs her to do, she peed on the floor outside of the hot tub. And then she straddled him and they had intercourse. You can hear him call her Shauna and she calls him daddy. He says, daddy, fuck you. And she says, yes, daddy. Her eyes were vacant, and you can see that she had no expression on her face. She, so, she showed no signs of pleasure. The tape cut out again, and it came back with a girl lying on the bench next to the hot tub, giving Robert head again. And then she opens her mouth as he urinated in it and all over her chest and her stomach before he fondled himself and ejaculated all over her again. And that's where the video ends. Yuck. Ugh. I know. Jim showed the tape to his bosses, and then they turned it over to police after he made a copy of it. Then he called Sparkles. He had to show her the tape and find out if it was the same one that she had seen and if the victim in it was Rashonda. It was the same tape, and it was Rashonda. Sparkle broke down. She felt overwhelmingly guilty. Because remember, she was the one who introduced Rashonda to Robert in the first place. She also says that she can tell from the tape that they had been doing these sexual acts for a while. Like, Shauna seemed to know how to do exactly what she was supposed to do, almost like she was following a script. When Sparkles saw that Robert was handing Rashonda money at the beginning of the clip, she freaked out. She just broke down sobbing. She was like, she's not a fucking whore. Jim called Robert's attorney and told him that he was in possession of this tape and that he could come in and watch it and comment on it. He declined, saying it was an invitation he was unable to accept at the time. So Jim and his partner Abden went back to Rashana's house. They went back like three or four times and nobody was ever home. They found out that they were actually in Europe on tour with For the Cause, which was an R&B group that Rashana was in with her cousins. The family never returned Jim's phone calls and according to Sparkles, they weren't answering calls from their relatives either. So Abden called a video expert who said that the possibility of fabricating this tape was slim to none. It's 26 minutes of putting somebody else's head on somebody else's body, and the ability to edit digital videos on a home computer wasn't widely available until the mid-2000s. Robert's attorney later called Jim and said that any tape he has is a fake and that the timing of it is suspicious. See, Robert was getting ready to perform at the Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City. It wasn't planned for them to expose him at this exact time, but Jim and Abden said that the story just wasn't ready to be released a minute sooner. 
Before Robert took the stage, he's then 35, he said, it's not true. All I know is this. I have a few people in the past that I fired, people that I thought were my friends that's not my friends. It's crap. And that's how we're going to treat it. The reason these things are happening, I really do believe, is because of the fact that I didn't fall back as far as blackmail was concerned. I didn't give them any money. The world is getting ready to watch me sing a song called The World's Greatest, and you've got a tape out there trying to ruin my career. I feel like I owe my fans. <laughs> this motherfucker's like, I'm the world's greatest pedophile. Well, this time, the story got a lot more attention. News outlets were actually reporting about it, and black women were urging boycotts of stores selling R. Kelly's music and radio stations playing his songs. Jive Records released a statement that said, R. Kelly has been with Jive Records for 11 years, and we fully support him and his music. In March 2002, Robert collaborated with Jay-Z on an album called The Best of Both Worlds. It wasn't as successful as they had hoped. Jay-Z distanced himself from Robert, and they canceled the tour that they had planned. Some of Robert's peers actually did speak up, though. Nas told a concert audience, we're not up here molesting children. We're not the best of both worlds. Cisco released a new track with the call out, The World's Greatest? Whatever. Ain't nothing but a child molester. Ha! Great minds. Dr. Dre even shelved a single by his own protege because it featured a cameo by R. Kelly. He said, I haven't seen the video, nor do I want to see it, because there's a kid involved. That's where I draw the line. In April 2002, Robert sold the house where the sex tapes were made, the ones that have been discovered anyway. Abden took this opportunity to view the house now that it was vacant. He, of course, was most interested in the Colorado room. He noted that there were video cameras mounted on a wall and on the ceiling above the hot tub. Sources said that Robert also had an identical room in his new mansion. Investigators wanted to examine another property of Robert's, the Olympia Fields Mansion, as they were hoping to find the clothes that he was wearing in the sex tape. But the supervisor of the child sex abuse unit refused to request a warrant for that property. The landfares still weren't talking, and they were still not letting investigators anywhere near Roshana. Robert did an interview on BET, which aired on May 8, 2002. He said that he's done things in his life that he's trying to get help for, he didn't specify what he needed help with. His attorney did say, though, that he was taken to a doctor to get shots to curb his sex drive. Roshana testified before a grand jury in 2002 that she was not the girl in the videotape and has so far refused to testify against Robert Kelly. I'm going to change the subject for a second here because I want to keep this timeline in order. So let's go back to Aaliyah for a second. In August 2001, Aaliyah died in a plane crash at 22 years old. She was in the Bahamas shooting a video for the song Rock the Boat, and the morning after filming, she boarded a chartered plane with members of the crew. The plane crashed shortly after takeoff, killing everybody on board. Allegedly, Aaliyah told her then-boyfriend Damon Dash that she had a bad feeling about the plane. She actually said, I don't like that plane. So Robert's crew had a theory that Barry and Sparkle were using the tape to blackmail Robert. Remember, Barry is Aaliyah's uncle, and he was also Robert's manager. The story was that Rob and Barry had a bad falling out over Aaliyah, and when Aaliyah died, it pushed Barry over the edge. 
Barry carried a lot of guilt for pushing Aaliyah and Robert together, just as Sparkles did for pushing Robert and Roshana together. Less than a month later, Robert was indicted. He was charged with 21 counts of making child pornography. This included seven counts of videotaping each specific act, seven counts for producing the video for each specific act, and seven counts of soliciting an underage partner for each specific act. He was facing a prison term of up to 15 years and a fine of $100,000 if convicted. Robert was arrested at his home in Florida. He spent one night in jail, and the judge agreed to let him go back to Chicago on his own recognizance, but told him that he has to have no contact with any minor children not related by blood or marriage. So Kelly paid his bond of $750,000, all in $100 bills. He smiled on his way out of the courtroom, and he told reporters that he looked forward to proving his innocence. Then he and his team got into a car and drove to Salem Baptist Church, where Robert sang for 50 children and their parents at a kindergarten graduation ceremony. Which, like, they just told him he can't have any contact with minors. He literally said, yes ma'am, and then walked out the door and went to a kindergarten graduation. A news report said that the stipulation of not associating with minors only applied in Florida. Which, like, what the fuck? I hope that's not true, but if it is, it sounds like a loophole designed specifically for people like R. Kelly. In the months that followed, he kept making music. He produced a song called Heaven I Need a Hug. Greg Lanfair played on that song, too. The song has a line that says, So shower down on me, wet me with your love. And shower down on me is like a catchphrase that repeated throughout the song. A former associate of Robert's was quoted as saying, I know Robert and he knows exactly what he's doing. He's smarter than everyone thinks. And what he's doing, he's fucking with all of us. And yeah, I feel like he's doing things right in front of our fucking faces, just being like, you can't arrest me. Robert's team apparently did everything possible to delay his trial. It took six years for him to see his day in court, which was, like, record-breaking. But it's a common tactic in cases of sexual abuse of a minor. See, by the time they go to court, the victim will be a grown woman. In this case, Rashonda Lanfair was 23 by the time the case went to trial. The idea is that the jury will only see this grown woman in the courtroom and not focus on the much younger girl in the video. The worst part is, he was lucky enough to get Judge Vincent Gaughan assigned to his case, who was totally starstruck. Not only that, but he's got a pretty iffy history. Judge Gaughan was known as a kooky fellow. He fought in Vietnam, and when he returned home, he had PTSD. He had an episode where he grabbed his rifle and started shooting out of his upstairs bedroom window. He shot into a neighbor's house, hitting the wall above their bed. So the police went to the couple's house to investigate, and while they were there... Two more shots came through the window, just barely missing the officers. So he was charged with four counts of aggravated assault and weapons violations, but the charges seemed to have disappeared. Multiple reporters, including Jim and Abden, were unable to find any documentation of those charges. Abden had actually written an article in 1998 about a list of nine judges who were deemed not recommended by one or more bars, and Gon was on that list. Can you imagine being the guys that are working on the R. Kelly case and then the judge that's on the list that you wrote as a shitty judge is that judge? <laughs> I can't. The Sun-Times petitioned to make all of Robert's court records public before the trial, a motion that Gone rejected and the Illinois Supreme Court sided with him. Just for perspective, the record of what's happened over the past six years included 
168 entries with at least 50 motions by the defense and 56 court orders issued by Gon, and they remain sealed to the public. And that's just the motions that are documented here. Some could have been withdrawn or ruled on in chambers for all we know. There was a case where a white cop shot a black teenager in the back 16 times and Gon also seemed to bend over backwards to defend the cop. Until the Illinois Supreme Court finally scolded him for patently unconstitutional conduct. What's more problematic is that Gon consistently sided with the defense's contention that prior bad acts should be excluded. In other words, Gon ruled that any evidence not directly related to the tape of Rashonda is inadmissible. So anything that had to do with Tiffany Hawkins, Tracy Sampson, Patrice Jones, Martina Woods, the marriage to Aaliyah, or any payments made to Robert or, or by Robert to the land fairs, none of that was considered admissible. They were not allowed to talk about it in court. So the jury actually knew very little about Robert's history. To them, the P-tape was an isolated incident. In 2004, about a year and a half after Robert was indicted, Gon granted a motion by the defense to drop seven of the 21 charges because they supposedly cited outdated language prosecutors took from a law that Illinois Supreme Court had declared unconstitutional. Robert still faced 15 years in prison if convicted on the 14 cases of making child pornography, but the ruling gave everyone an early indication that Gon was skeptical about this case from the very beginning. By this point, Robert's got the sex crimes unit all over him and trying to arrest him for anything they can. So in June of 2002, they arrested Robert on a warrant issued in Chicago, and they thoroughly searched two of his properties. One property was the home where his wife Drea and their kids were. Drea was actually in the hospital giving birth to their third baby, so the kids were home with the nanny. The second property was where Robert and his crew would record music and party. While searching the party house, they found a bedroom door marked Do Not Enter, and in it there was a duffel bag that contained a digital camera wrapped in a towel. Drea actually tells her perspective of the story in Surviving R. Kelly, and it is just absolutely heartbreaking. She is pregnant, and Robert is nowhere to be found, and she goes into labor, and they take her some to some weird hospital far away that she's never been to, and she's alone with her best friend, just the two of them. And while they're there, they see on the news that Robert's been arrested. Seven months later, police revealed that the camera they found included 12 images of a naked, underage girl. Rashonda Landfair. A couple of the photos showed Robert and Rashonda having a threesome with a woman who was above legal age. This woman has never come forward or revealed her identity. Jim figured out who she was, but she would not talk to him. In 2003, while filming the music video for Ignition Remix, he was arrested again on a warrant that had been issued in Polk County, charging him with 12 additional counts of possession of child pornography. Each count carried a maximum five-year sentence. Robert posted the $12,000 bail, and he walked out of jail just three hours later. Robert's spokespeople just accused the court of finding accusations to just pile on top of him. The Florida court abruptly shut the case down, stating that the digital images were inadmissible because they'd been obtained illegally. Supposedly, the officers had no probable cause to search Robert's home even though they were executing a warrant in Illinois for indictments on making child pornography. But Polk County dropped the charges. Robert said, My faith in our system of justice has never wavered, and with this victory behind me, I look forward to clearing my name in Illinois. I am confident that when the facts come out, people will see that I am no criminal. This asshole is really, really fearless, man. 
He really believes that he's never going to get apprehended for this shit. In 2003, Robert released the album Chocolate Factory, which debuted at number one on the Billboard Albums chart. It sold more than two million copies. It had hits like Ignition Remix, Step in the Name of Love, which, I have to say this, I hate that this man is so brilliant. Like, Step in the Name of Love is so catchy, even I won't deny this guy's musical genius. But, ugh, he is in the middle of all these allegations, and people were still supporting his music like crazy. So, I was, like, young when all this happened. In 2003, I was about 12 or 13. In fact, I'm only about a year older than one of R. Kelly's victims, Geronda Pace. I remember when the P-tape came out, and it was a huge deal, but nobody was talking about it like it was a serious crime. If anything, I remember it being a big joke. Everybody was, like, talking about the Dave Chappelle jokes or the Boondocks episode, and I remember thinking, like, well, this guy's still making music and he's not in jail. It didn't really occur to me that he was doing something illegal. I just thought maybe he had weird sexual tastes. I didn't know if maybe the girl in the video was not a minor. Or I, I don't know. It just it didn't seem like anybody was really worried about him. And like I said, he was still performing all over the place and people were still swooning over him. So I didn't even think about, wow, this guy should be in prison. And that's the whole problem. Not only is he just owning the sexual persona, but the media and the courts were totally downplaying the seriousness of the allegations. I also feel like as somebody who was that age while all this was going on, we should all be talking to our daughters about these kinds of things. Whether it be some stranger that picks you up on the street, or your uncle, or a celebrity like R. Kelly, these are situations where young girls are taken advantage of. Plus, this wasn't like a fun sex tape, like the Pam Anderson one or something. This was a 14-year-old child getting peed on by a 35-year-old man, and the tape started circulating while she was still in high school. Like, it was all over the streets, and her classmates even saw it, or at least heard about it. Most of Robert's fans dismissed the charges against him, or decided that they could love him as an artist and not worry about his personal life. I mean, he is kind of proving that after every dark allegation, he can just make a catchy new hit, and everybody's in love with him again. Girls are showing up for him at his trials. Families are playing his music at backyard barbecues. Doesn't really matter if he has any new allegations because he'll just come up with a brand new song. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Around this time, people started calling him the Pied Piper. In fact, he started calling himself the Pied Piper too. The Pied Piper is a story from the Middle Ages. It was about a guy who would play his magical flute and lure mice out of their holes and then kill them. So Robert started calling himself that first, and he says that it's because... Well, the guy used a flute, and Robert started using flute sounds in his music. And the irony seems, like, lost on him. Everybody calls him the Pied Piper of R&B, really, because he's luring children. But he says he never heard the story of rats being lured to their deaths. Again, I don't buy that. I think this is Robert throwing shit in our faces and just laughing about it. He's He reminds me of, like, a little kid, like a toddler, when you tell them, don't go on the steps. So they just go stand right next to the steps. 
and then they put a foot on it and you're like, no, no, don't go on the steps. And they're like, no, I'm just, I'm resting my foot here. And you're like, okay, but don't go on the steps. They're like, no, no, I'm just, I'm just going to stand on the first step. Like that's R. Kelly. Like within the middle of the indictment and the trial for his child pornography charges, he's still out there picking up girls, having concerts where they simulate sex on stage. Like he's doing dirty thing after dirty thing being like, well, you can't arrest me. That's not illegal, is it? But he has not changed. He's just, as a lot of victims and their families will say, he gets better at hiding it. He gets more sneaky. But I do frankly think that he's having a good laugh at the fact that they can't arrest him on anything. They've been trying and trying, and he's been doing it since the early 90s. And here he is, still making music and abusing new girls. In 2004, a woman named Kelly Delaney reached out to Jim. She said that she met Robert in 1990 and they were lovers for a while, but they stopped sleeping together and became really close friends. In 98, she published a children's book called I Believe I Can Fly, the R. Kelly story, and she wrote that with Robert's blessing. His team helped her promote it. She says that she totally believes in Rob. He has an amazing story, but she also said that she believes he needs help for his sexual addiction. She wrote another book called Starstruck, which was a lightly fictional tale about her and Robert's friendship. It's about the narrator Leela becoming concerned about her best friend, an R&B superstar named Ben, who loses control of his sexual impulses. She included a passage that talked about a scandalous video and mentioned that the tape managed to reach a journalist who had written several stories about Ben's troubles with women. She told Jim that she knew from the beginning who he was, saying that she was instrumental. She didn't go into detail about how she was instrumental, but she did confirm that she was friends with Sparkle, and she had seen Roshana in Kelly's circle, although she did say she never saw anything inappropriate happen. Another passage describes a conversation between Ben and Leela after the videotape went public, and Ben says that the aunt of the girl in the tape is trying to destroy him, quote, like she's possessed or something. Leela, shocked at what she was hearing, said, Imagine if someone sexed your niece or daughter. I mean, I understand her. Ben replied, then struck the nail to seal the coffin. I need her done. You know what I mean? I can't say it in case it ever goes to trial. I can say I didn't say it, you know? But Kelly wouldn't admit if that was a real conversation she had with Robert about Sparkle or not. She said, I wrote the book in fiction form so that I wouldn't have to tell specific things that Robert said to me in confidence. And yet I would like to get the message across that we should be thinking critically about these issues. She also said that she was saddened by those in the black community who defended Robert, adding that to blindly support Robert does a disservice to Robert. She did, however, clarify that some of his supporters were remaining silent out of fear and not out of loyalty. Kelly says that her and Robert are still friends and he didn't object to her book. He knows that the core of the book is true and that if she released the book, it was just to help him. Abden finally came out and just asked her, should Robert go to jail? Her response was, I think he needs to go away, to be by himself away from the glare of stardom. What I'm saying in the book is that this guy is caught up, and his morals are kind of twisted now. I think he can't tell the boundaries of acceptable behavior. The book also mentions that Ben had videotaped Leela, shown the tape to her friends, and humiliated her. But she didn't say if that truly happened to her. So Jay-Z and R. Kelly ended up doing the tour together. According to Robert, they both knew that real money could be made if they toured together. But they didn't really perform together at all. They pretty much just switched off doing solo numbers. Robert's showcase started with a giant personal ad on big video screens that said, 
looking for a girl. Must be down for anything. She's got to be at least, and the scroll paused for a beat, 19 years old. And the audience kind of laughed. Then there was a part where Robert selected random women from the audience. They were actually dancers who were planted in the audience. And he seduced them into his prop tour bus. They all came out wearing orange prison jumpsuits and acting out a wild threesome in a prison cell that appeared on center stage. So, you see what I mean about him just kind of making jokes about this right in our faces? Dude just gets freakier and freakier while he's waiting for his trial. It was clear throughout the tour that Jay-Z didn't feel great about Robert. During one of his sets, he had paid tribute to Fallen Stars and he flashed their photos on the big screen. These stars included Tupac, Biggie Smalls, and eerily, Aaliyah. Jay-Z was friends with Aaliyah, or more accurately, he was friends and business partners with Aaliyah's boyfriend at the time of her death, Damon Dash. Damon Dash co-founded Rockefeller Records with Jay-Z, and Jay-Z had a big crush on Aaliyah, and Damon was appalled that he would work with R. Kelly. For night two of the show, Robert arrived two and a half hours late, and then he left early before the closing bow with Jay-Z. Robert complained about Jay-Z's technical crew sabotaging Robert's parts of the show. The producers canceled the next date in Cincinnati. A week later, Robert stopped a show in St. Louis and got into a screaming match with the tech crew. Jay-Z finished the show with his tribute to the Dead Stars, and Robert and his crew went to McDonald's that had been closed for the night. Robert persuaded the manager to reopen the McDonald's and also to allow him to hand out orders to customers at the drive-thru. It was all over the radio, and people started rushing to McDonald's to have R. Kelly serve them burgers. R. Kelly's behavior was getting increasingly bizarre. A couple shows on the tour were canceled, and on another show, Robert fled the stage during his second solo, saying that there were people in the crowd that were waving guns at him. When he came back, Jay-Z's friend pepper sprayed him. I'm not sure why, maybe he was just acting a fool. Robert went to the hospital while Jay-Z ended the show with other superstars that had been in the audience that night. The next day, Robert and Jay-Z each gave their own interviews. Jay-Z said that Robert was jealous because the audience liked him better. Robert complained about production issues. Jay-Z kicked him off the tour and tapped in Pharrell Williams, Snoop Dogg, and Kanye West to finish the tour. Robert sued Jay-Z, and Jay sued him back. A judge dismissed that lawsuit, and Jay-Z settled Robert's claim out of court. Lawyers have not disclosed the terms, and Jay-Z has not spoken publicly about R. Kelly ever since. Real quick, I want to read you a couple quotes from Damon Dash. Like I said, Damon was Aaliyah's boyfriend at the time of her death. He says that they were very, very close, very serious, and were planning on getting married. So one thing he said was, That dude was a bad man. I didn't really want to know what he did to the extent that I would, you know, deal with it because that's what a man does. But it was so much hurt for her to revisit it. I wouldn't want to revisit it without a professional. Whatever got done was terrible. He also said, I remember having the conversation with Aaliyah and I was like, yo, tell me what happened. And she was just like, she just couldn't. What do you think I felt? I'm human, bro. I had to look the other way. All these years. Publicly, that man did a record with that that raped my girl that he liked as well, but no one said nothing. Robert's team actually started coming after Jim and Abden at one point. They reported that not only was Jim's reporting inaccurate, but they also took shots at his punk band, referencing lyrics and photos from their website. Which was weird, like why are they looking at this journalist's personal info? Robert's manager called him at home and told him, I know you have a six-year-old daughter. 
He also talked to Abdin and told him that he saw Jim and his daughter at a shopping mall and said that he wanted to beat him up. Of course, Jim and Abdin documented these comments and memos to their editors. Demetrius Smith, who was Robert's tour manager, and remember, he had worked with Robert for 13 years and he was he took a part in the illegal marriage to Aaliyah. He's openly stated that the studio could be filled with 20 women, aged 21 or so, but Robert consistently focused on the self-conscious teenager standing in the corner, staring at her feet, too shy to talk. He said, He likes the babies. That's the sickness. He can control her and she don't know no better. There was a little bit of a divide in the black community. A lot of people were struggling to accept the truth. Mary Mitchell, who is a black woman who also worked at the Sun-Times with Jim and Abdin, she provided a lot of insight. She grew up in public housing on the south side of Chicago as well, and she was adamant about hearing the voices of people who couldn't use their own voices to speak up for themselves. She says that she got a lot of hate mail for working on this case. She's quoted as saying, There's this desperate need for the black community to have a hero. That's why Bill Cosby was out there for so long. Same thing with R. Kelly. The black community didn't want to deal with this being a form of sex trafficking girls. I was trying to get them to understand the seriousness of it, that it wasn't just two white guys, talking about Jim and Abdin, trying to take down a black guy. I always saw that as a problem. She also said, Kelly may be the mama's boy who can do no wrong in the black community, but he is also the poster child for the dysfunctional relationship that is developed between adult men and girls in our society. The rapper Common actually said in 2019, admitting that he didn't even understand the seriousness of it until it was too late. He said, We failed as a community. We knew these things were happening. Instead of trying to free these young ladies and stop this thing going on, we were just like, man, rock into the music. I'm guilty of that too myself. I didn't want to speak out against it. So it's hard to comment on this when you aren't black, but one thing that I think is important to remember is that the victims are black. If they were white, justice might be served more quickly, and that is unfortunate. Unfortunately, there's a history in the USA of black victims going without justice. In April 2003, Mary interviewed Drea, that's Robert's wife. By all accounts, including Drea's, she had to follow rules like knock before entering or exiting any room of the house, and she had to ask for permission to eat. She was rarely seen in public with Robert. A lot of people believe that he wanted to make sure she couldn't move around the house or even around outside of the house. His crew called her Puppy Dog, and that just breaks my heart. In Drea's interviews, like, for example, in Surviving R. Kelly, she seems so collected and so in control up until she's asked specifically about how he controlled her or abused her. And her eyes kind of glaze over and her posture kind of sulks. It's like she's a strong woman who knows how to speak up for herself, and yet something inside her has been broken down. Mary also talked to Drea's mother and grandfather and aunt, and they all said that they weren't allowed to visit her, and Drea wasn't allowed to talk to anybody on the phone. This is another thing that a lot of his girlfriends would say. He would take their cell phones and give them new ones and tell them that they were not allowed to contact anyone except Robert unless Robert specifically directed them to call somebody. Andrea hadn't spoken to her family for over two years, and they hadn't even met her youngest son, Robert Jr. Drea's mom had requested for police to go and perform a well check on her, but they reported that she was fine. In September 2005, which is three years after the indictment, Drea petitioned for an order of protection from Robert. 
She charged that he hit her and slapped her when she asked him for a divorce and said that she was afraid of him and wanted to get away safely. A few weeks later, they made up and she rescinded the request for a protective order. In 2007, Drea did an interview where she said she didn't believe the allegations against Robert. The prosecution team tried really hard to get her to testify, but she absolutely refused. But then the couple divorced about a year after the trial ended, and in 2018, she finally started talking. Drea started describing to the media how she suffered physical abuse and mental abuse from Robert throughout their marriage. At one point, she says that she contemplated suicide. She's opened up about a lot, but she says that there's still a lot she's not willing to talk about. She says that she never saw any underage girls. He kept them away from her for a reason. By 2006, this was now three years after the indictment, but the trial still hadn't started, Robert's brother Carrie released an interview with Drama Magazine claiming that Robert emotionally and physically abused Drea and had a problem with underage girls and also that he often showed the sex tape to his friends throughout the indictment. According to Carrie, Robert called him up a year prior and asked him to take the fall and falsely admit to being the man in the sex tape, and in return, he offered Carrie $50,000, a record deal, and his own house. Carrie turned him down. He didn't think it was worth it to perjure himself and take the blame for all of that. Just so you know, both of Robert's other siblings, Bruce and Teresa, worked for him at one point, or they worked for him on and off. Bruce worked as a bodyguard and Teresa as his housekeeper. Like I said, Teresa's never spoken about Robert publicly. Bruce has, though. He's seen on Surviving R. Kelly. He's, like, in prison as he's being interviewed. And Bruce gives some creepy vibes, too. He said things on the show like, It's just a preference. I like older women, but that's just my preference. Rob likes younger women. What's the big deal about my brother? Nah, bro. Nope, 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 nope. And again, we know that Robert and Carrie were sexually abused by Teresa, allegedly, and other family members. I would not be surprised if Bruce was also a victim as a child, and I don't know, maybe his brain is wired a little bit like Robert's. In fall of 2006, Jim got a call from a guy named Henry Vaughn. Henry worked as a security guard for Robert and claimed to have also been a mentor and, quote, uncle to him since his teen years. They weren't actually related, but Robert and his crew called him Uncle Henry Love. Real quick, I know in part one I mentioned that Robert and his siblings as little kids were either where they were molested by somebody named Henry or Mr. Henry or Uncle. I'm not sure if this is the same person. I couldn't confirm that, so take that as you will. So Henry went out and met with Jim, Abden, and Mary, and he told them that he had filed a lawsuit against Robert. He claimed that he had gone to a party at Robert's mansion earlier that year, and Robert and his bodyguards beat the shit out of him. The suit also demanded compensation for, quote, permanent injuries from the beating, as well as money that Kelly promised to pay him for sharing his stepping moves and inspiring the song Step in the Name of Love. They asked him why Robert would beat someone up that was supposedly his friend and mentor, and he said that he wasn't sure, but he described the argument that led to the fight. Allegedly, Robert's seven-year-old daughter was dressed up with tight jeans and makeup on at this party, and she was dancing on top of a pool table, and Robert was encouraging it. So that's how the argument started. By the way, and I'm just telling you this for accuracy, it's not relevant to the story, 
But this daughter that we're talking about was Jaya. She has come out as transgender in 2014 and now prefers to be called Robert's son, Jay. So after talking to Uncle Henry, Abden reached out to the Olympia Fields police and they told him that they responded to a call from the mansion that night, but when they got there, Robert and everyone at the party had told them that Uncle Henry had gotten drunk and needed to be subdued. They said that the kids were there, but they were all upstairs sleeping. Not long after the indictment in 2002, Robert got a new spokesperson. His old one, Regina Daniel, separated from him and made a cryptic statement that only said, a line has been crossed. In 2008, her husband spoke more openly to a radio station and he elaborated, he crossed the line with my daughter. It didn't get to the extreme of that video or else I wouldn't be here if you know what I'm talking about. Their daughter, Maxine, opened up about it a few weeks later. She said that she had a relationship with Robert when she was 20 years old and that her parents didn't know about it because she and Robert both knew that they wouldn't approve. Regina found out about the affair and lost her shit because he had known Maxine since she was seven years old and they considered him family. Robert continued releasing music throughout the trial. He released the TP3 Reloaded album and Trapped in the Closet. These albums were also all about sex, no surprise there, and big stars were still working with him. He was still writing and producing for Ludacris, LL Cool J, Lil Wayne, Sierra, Missy Elliott. He even worked with Whitney Houston at one point. He released the album Double Up, which included guest appearances by Snoop Dogg, Nelly, Usher, T-Pain, Kid Rock, Keisha Cole. That's not even all of them, man. Not a lot of his peers seemed to have a big problem with the allegations, and it was pretty much just the subject of jokes for a while. The trial finally started in 2008. About 100 fans came to the opening and closing days of the trial, but most days only about a dozen people were there. Among the crowds were two young females who called themselves R. Kelly's biggest fans. One of these girls was Geronda Johnson. She claimed to be 18 and told anybody who would listen that prosecutors, quote, don't have a case, it ain't him on the tape. One day, a reporter asked Geronda if she would date Robert if he asked her out. She responded, yes, he don't even gotta finish the sentence. And then she was asked what if he wanted to tape her, and she paused and then smiled and said, just don't let it go public. One of the biggest problems with this case is that Rashonda and her parents refused to testify, and Robert's lawyers would not let that go. The problem was that Rashonda testified in front of a grand jury in 2002 and said that she was not the girl on the tape. So if the prosecution were to win, she could be charged with perjury and go to prison herself. They were actually going to bring in a psychologist who, who was going to explain why a child victim would lie about being a victim like that, but Judge Vaughn would not allow it. That doctor was Dr. Cooper, the CEO of Developmental and Forensic Pediatrics, and she said that many times children will deny because of the presence of the images is so shaming. The reason victims don't acknowledge those images or them is because of the guilt, the self-blame, and the shame. Often, children, just like sex trafficking victims, are sworn to secrecy. Many times, the offender uses love and affection to make a young person become devoted to them. According to Jim, Gon also ruled as inadmissible any evidence or testimony that Rashana or the Landfairs ever worked for Robert or were on his payroll. We already know for sure that Greg played in multiple albums for Robert, but Valerie also worked as his office assistant, and Rashada was actually on his payroll because she would babysit for him sometimes. It's unclear why the prosecution wouldn't be able to follow the money from Robert to the landfairs 
or why God wouldn't allow the jury to hear about Robert's history of silencing his victims. The state called 14 people as witnesses. The most convincing testimony came from one of Roshana's friends, Simha Jameson. Simha testified that Roshana introduced her to Robert when she was 12, and they would hang out at the studio with him, also at the gym where he played basketball, and also sometimes visited his house. Sometimes she would go home and Roshana would stay the night with Robert. She said that she never saw Robert touch Roshana inappropriately, but she did see him give her cash, anywhere between $100 and $500. It was also implied that he bought her a PT Cruiser years before she could even get her driver's license. Simha also said that Roshana never mentioned having a sexual relationship with Robert. However, she said that she saw the tape for the first time back in high school and she knew for a fact it was Roshana. Apparently, she and Roshana had gone to get these mullet haircuts together when they were 14 and that was the exact haircut that Roshana had in the tape. Simha also revealed that she had received gifts from Robert including $100 on her 13th birthday. There were a lot of people who testified that they were absolutely positive that Roshana was the girl in the tape, including Roshana's relatives, her basketball coach, her teammates, her classmates, her classmates' parents, and of course, Sparkle. But of course, Shauna says it's not her. One thing that I found super weird is that the man in the tape, just kidding, we all know it's R. Kelly, but the man in the tape clearly called the girl Shauna, and yet the prosecution never brought that up with any of their witnesses. They never asked specifically about that name. And the defense made a lot of really dumb points. One was that the man in the video could not be Robert because he had a mole and Robert did not, but then they examined other, other videos of Robert's where he did have a mole. They also tried to say that the video was fabricated. They actually asked Simha, you remember the movie with the Wayans brothers called Little Man and they put that guy's head on a baby's body? That was pretty convincing, wasn't it? And she was like, not really. And, of course, everybody had a pretty good laugh about that. In a shocking win for the prosecution, Judge Gahn allowed the court to hear from a bombshell witness, Lisa Van Allen. Lisa met Robert when she was 17. She quit her job and started staying with him in Chicago, and she just never left. She went on tour with him, and she thought she was his girlfriend. Lisa was actually the woman who Robert would pick out of the audience at his concerts and bring her up on stage to climb into the big bed and depict intercourse. She was also in his music video for I Wish. You can see her braiding his hair while they're like sitting on a stoop. According to Lisa, Robert introduced her in Rashonda in 1998. He basically told her that he wanted to try a threesome with this girl and he told her that she was 16. She had no idea that Rashonda was actually only 14 and when she found out, it destroyed her. She says that they had sex in the Colorado room and Robert had recorded it. She noted that Rashonda seemed to know exactly what to do and exactly what he wanted, like she had been doing this for a while. A year later, they had another threesome on Futon and his basketball gym. This is the big gym that had all these, like, Looney Tune murals. It was, like, decorated like Space Jam. Lisa said that she cried. She was so uncomfortable with the threesome. Robert scolded her for ruining his video, saying, I can't watch this now. They had a third threesome in the trailer on the set of the music video for I Wish. I guess somebody knocked on the door and he made Roshana run into the bathroom naked to hide. The defense grilled Lisa about why it took her so long to come forward, and she said that she had just had an infant daughter in 2002 when this whole thing started, and she was really young. She just wasn't ready to be involved. However, she explains how on one occasion, 
Robert left his duffel bag of tapes on the sidelines of the basketball court, and she stole the video of the first threesome. It was discovered after the trial that at one point in a closed trial, Lisa gave sworn testimony that Robert's manager, Daryl McDavid, told her that he should have killed her. But instead, he paid her $100,000 in return for her telling Robert's attorneys that she never had sex with him. Okay, so I'm actually going to end this episode right here. I'll release part three within about a week, and in that episode, I will go more into detail about the quote-unquote sex cult. Recently, a male victim actually came forward, so there's still quite a bit to say about R. Kelly. We got to talk about all the stuff that he's doing recently, because if you thought he was done, you were wrong. I really appreciate you guys toughing it out with me during this long, long story. If you like this podcast, please tell your friends about it, or leave me a review on Apple or something. You can also check out BrokenLimelight.com, and there you can find transcripts and show notes and images. That's pretty much all I got for you today. I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye-bye! Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Today's episode is brought to you by Hunt a Killer. Hunt a Killer is a monthly mystery subscription box that's truly one of a kind. It's basically like a crime case in a box. It comes with case files, codes to decipher, detailed backgrounds about the suspects and the victims. There's evidence for you to evaluate. It tells an immersive story of a whole crime case from beginning to end. It's kind of like an escape room in a box. You can do this by yourself or you can team up with a buddy or do it for like a game night or even a date night. You can take a little break from technology and immerse yourself fully into this box, or if you prefer to be more of a high-tech investigator, you can join online communities and talk to other Hunt-A-Killer players about clues and stuff. Hunt-A-Killer also shares part of its proceeds with the Cold Case Foundation, which helps with real-life cold cases. The best part is that Broken Limelight listeners get 20% off of their first subscription box. So get started now at huntakiller.com and be sure to use code BROKENLIMELIGHT to get your 20% off.